the totally unofficial Big Finish Review podcast. And welcome to the Big Finish Review. Each month I will take a look at the previous month's Big Finish releases, as well as reporting any news that surfaced in that month. So to start off with, here are the main news stories and announcements from January 2021. On New Year's Day, the uh, details of the 50th release in the monthly Torchwood range were announced. Uh, Due to be released in May this year, Absent Friends is written by James Goss and stars John Barrowman and Gareth David Lloyd, as well as featuring a guest appearance by David Tennant. Uh, Commenting on the appropriateness of using a character designed for a children's show within an adult series, uh, writer James Goss confirmed that this release will not carry the usual adult tag attached to the majority of the rest of the Torchwood range. The next day, on the 2nd of January, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the first appearance of the Master in episode 1 of Terror of the Autons, which was first broadcast on the 2nd of January 1971, Big Finish released Masterful, a release featuring all surviving actors to have played the Master, plus a couple that are unique to Big Finish. Such was demand for the download, their servers actually crashed for, I think, only the third time in their history. Uh, Again, this one was written by James Goss, and he can take some comfort from the fact that he's written one of the three most sought-after releases in the Big Finish range. However, I hope they strengthen their website in time for May, uh, because that's when they release the first Christopher Eccleston Ninth Doctor range release, which is, I'm guessing, going to be one of their biggest releases ever. Talking of the Ninth Doctor range, uh, they did reveal the cover artwork for the first uh, volume. There were many comments online that the the, the box set uh, and download appears not to feature any familiar characters, Um, but it's distinctly possible that this is only a preliminary cover and that more faces will be added later. This happens occasionally, most notably recently with the Legacy of Time, um, which was their 20th anniversary, or the Big Finish's 20th anniversary of producing Doctor Who, and the cover was regularly updated online as additional characters uh, were announced to be part of the project. And if you look at the cover, there is plenty of room behind the Doctor to add additional faces. In Robots news, this month saw the news that Gregory de Polnay has joined the cast of Robots for the fourth volume, reprising his role as D84 from The Robots of Death, alongside Pamela Salem returning as Toos and the late David Collings as Paul. Additionally, it was announced that this series has been extended by two box sets and is now running to six volumes instead of four. I I love this range, uh, so I was very pleased to hear this. It was also announced that the four unrecorded scripts for the proposed 14th series of Jago and Lightfoot have been adapted into audiobooks that will be released in June, read by members of the cast, including Christopher Benjamin and Lisa Bauman. Again, there's been some kickback from fans upset that this will be a download release only, and I kind of understand their point of view. However, it must be remembered that these are being released as audiobooks. And whilst each story would be 50 to 60 minutes uh, in length as a full cast audio drama, they will probably be at least twice as long as audiobooks. Jago and Lightfoot is one of my favourite ranges, and since the death of Trevor Baxter has precluded any further adventures, I think this is a lovely and respectful way of telling the unreleased stories. Um, and I, for one, wouldn't be disappointed if they decided to continue the range in this format uh, rather than just making it a one-off release, even if it is download only. 
With changes to the way the 5th, 6th and 7th Doctor's ranges are managed and the monthly range that houses them coming to an end next month in March, news was announced about the new producer for one of these new separate ranges. Jack Rayner has been involved with Big Finish from the very first release in 1998, which was uh, the Bernice Summerfield audio Oh No It Isn't, which she adapted. Jack takes over as the producer for the 6th Doctor range. It was also announced that a new 6th Doctor box set will be released later this year, which pits old Sixie against the Eleven, a Time Lord with multiple personalities who is extremely dangerous and has previously battled the 7th and 8th Doctors. The set features three one-hour plays and is due out in September. Now, I was initially a little worried about this. I want my classic Doctors to stick to the 25-minute, half-hour episode format that they enjoyed on TV. Um, but then I realised this is not part of Jack Rayner's new Sixth Doctor range. It's a special release. And there will no doubt be news on producers for Peter Davison's of Esther McCoy coming up soon and how all these ranges are going to work. A new series of Cicero was announced. It stars Samuel Barnett as the titular character. Uh, the first series was released in 2017 and Barnett reprised the role in the Doctor Who main range release Tartarus, which was released in 2019. Hence, hence my, um, what did I say earlier? My interpretation of what counts as the Doctor Who universe. Uh, this month, Big Finish also announced some new audiobooks, Six Doctor Who and Five Iris Wildtime. The first Doctor Who release is called Scourge of the Cybermen. It comes out in July and is written by Simon Gurrier and narrated by John Coleshaw. Right, now it's time for my thoughts on January's big finish releases. We will start with Masterful. I presume you summoned me? To a ruined castle on a desolate rock? Uh, hardly my style. From Big Finish Productions. You may have wondered why I called you here today. To a ruined castle carved from obsidian, decorated with black marble and black drapes, one senses a theme. It's because one of you in this room is a murderer. And it's me! <laughs> Masterful. Ah, my dear master, 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 and master. This is a very great and, may I say, unexpected pleasure. We've never done this before. Got together, had a chinwag, swapped evil schemes. Yes, and knees up. And it's not just to cheer up, you sad sops. No, it's to gloat. Why? Lean in. No, lean closer. I've won. The doctor is dead. But I'm going to fight back, and I won't ever give up. Look your master in the eye. The thing is, someone, naming no names, but hint, hint, gloaty McGloatface over there, forgot to invite me. So, I am gate-crashing. You're a beautiful woman, improbably. I'm the master, and you will obey me. Your cute little frowny friends, the seven dwarfs, schemey, 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 and crispy. That's you, barbecue. Look out there. Planet may not be much, but the sunsets to die for. All those stars, mine. All the planets spinning around them, mine too. All creation bows down and worships me. I am finally the master. The universe hangs in the balance. Boom. Pure raging evil. I've come from another dimension. The stars are going out in my universe, and the threat comes from this one. Miss Grant, listen. Listen. Listen, we're all the master. We're all the master! (laughs) 
Big Finish. We love stories. My name is Kitty. Pleased to meet you, Kitty. I'm pausing, waiting to hear yours. It is... uh, I, I am generally referred to as the... Yes? Would you believe Jeremy... So it's time to turn our attention to the first release of the year. Uh, Masterful was released on the 2nd of January 2021, 50 years to the day since Roger Delgado first stepped down from his TARDIS in Terror of the Autons. There are two formats for this release, a three-disc set containing the actual story and a limited edition eight-disc set made up of three discs containing the main story, Masterful, written by James Goss, three discs of an audio book narrated by John Colshaw called Terror of the Master, a disc containing two previously released but download only short trips, which are single narrator short stories, and the behind the scenes disc. The limited edition set comes in this lovely packaging, which is somewhat reminiscent of Big Finish's release to celebrate their 20th anniversary of Doctor Who uh, in 20, 2019, which was called The Legacy of Time. The short trips are great especially I Am the Master, performed by Geoffrey Beavers. Uh, the new story, Terror of the Master, by Trevor Baxendale, is also an entertaining audiobook. John Colshaw is well known as an impressionist and often plays the brigadier flawlessly in the third Doctor range, but it's his Roger Delgado as the master that is the most impressive here. Having heard this, I would be very surprised if he does not appear in this role at some point in the third Doctor range soon. His John Pertwee is fairly impressive too. The story is good fun. It's set in the gap between Joe Grant leaving at the end of season 10 and Sarah Jane arriving at the start of season 11. It's a proper old-fashioned unit story with a lot of charm. Um, It is a decent tale featuring the Master, but I have to say that I was expecting something a little bit more. I almost expected the Master to obtain the injuries that led him to becoming the cadaver version of the Master first seen in The Deadly Assassin. It's a story that has, as far as I know, never been told. Uh, And for me, Terror of the Master needs to contain an event of that magnitude to justify its inclusion in this set. It is a thoroughly enjoyable story, however. I was just a little bit disappointed by the ending. But the important story in the set, indeed the only story if you've bought the standard edition, is Masterful by James Goss. It's a nice idea in principle, having a multi-master story for the 50th anniversary of the first appearance of the character. The initial problem is that we have had multiple master stories before. Most notably in the Two Masters with the Seventh Doctor, Day of the Master with the Eighth Doctor, and also in the fifth series of the Diary of River Song, uh, there's another multi-story master story, sorry, another multi-master story that features the same four versions that appeared in the Day of the Master. These four, which are Geoffrey Beavers from The Keeper of Traken, Eric Roberts from the TV movie, Derek Jacoby from Utopia, and Missy from the Twelfth Doctor era, are all joined by Master, are joined in Masterful by John Sim for the first time, as well as Big Finish only masters Alex McQueen and Mark Gatiss, as well as Milo Parker playing a very young version of the Master, presumably replacing James Dreyfus, who seems to have disappeared for some reason. Early in the making of section of the 8th disc, the writer, James Goss, describes that he was given a brief that was constantly changing as new elements became available. The idea was to create a version of the Five Doctors containing the Master and having various incarnations of the Master working together to save the universe. However, James correctly identified early on that they never actually would work together, which was a wise choice from a character point of view, but what it leaves us with is a kind of unsatisfying medley of stories. 
The first problem is using John Coleshaw to play the Anthony Ainley incarnation of the Master. John Coleshaw does a much better impersonation of Roger Delgado than he does of the Ainley version, so it's criminal that they only use him as the Ainley version here. The Delgado Master, the first Master, is not represented in the main story at all. Honestly, if it wasn't for the chuckle and the deliberate re-quoting of some of Ainley's lines, I would have not actually realised who it was meant to be. The fact that the Delgado does not appear, or the Delgado version of the Master doesn't appear, is probably due to the shopping list nature of the writer's brief, which was to include Joe Grant in the story. There is no this. This is no doubt because the same episode that marked the first appearance of the Master also marked the first appearance of Katie Manning as Joe Grant. Um, in the story, she is with the, Delga- the Delgado master when the time scoop tries to collect him, she tells us. Um, and seeing what's going on, he pushes her in instead. Joe is a great character and her anniversary absolutely sh- should have been celebrated. This sadly was not the way to do it. Episode one is somewhat disappointing. For the first half hour, you have too many characters knocking about. And even though they are all technically the same person... And I don't understand how the young version of the Master, played by Milo Parker, having never left Gallifrey at this point in his life, automatically knows that the person he meets in the opening scene is a future version of himself. The various Masters proceed to dick around for half an hour until what is actually going on is revealed by Missy, who's a little bit nut that she was not invited to the shindig. It turns out that the John Sim Master wants to steal the lives of all his former selves. What? Surely just steal the ones from Milo Parker, who hasn't regenerated yet? Anyway, things go wrong, and they all have to dive into the time scoop that was used to bring them here, splitting them up and and, and depositing them all who knows where. This does serve one useful function. There are now two or three people in in a scene, instead of seven or eight, which makes everything a lot easier to follow. But there are still too many characters and not enough story to serve them. About halfway through episode one, there is a particularly poor transition between scenes featuring two different masters. Unfortunately, both of them are talking to identical sounding service robots. So it takes you a little while to realise you've moved from one master to another, at which point I had to wind back to the start of the scene to understand what was going on, because initially I really didn't. There is also an appearance by the Third Doctor. Admittedly, it's Chameleon portraying the Third Doctor, and he does it simply to reassure Joe Grant, but it's really frustrating that John Colshaw plays him. With the exception of Gerald Flood uh, in Chameleon's first appearance, different actors have usually portrayed the role when he shapeshifted. Um, They have a perfectly good actor who plays the Third Doctor in the Big Finish range, and it's quite frustrating that they use Colshaw instead. It was presumably for cost reasons. But it felt rather cheap, and those scenes did not work for me, because although Colshaw does a good third Doctor, it still sounds like Colshaw doing the third Doctor. It should have been Tim Trelaw, um, and the fact that it wasn't spoiled those sequences a little bit. There's an awful lot of knowing, deliberate quotes from earlier episodes of Doctor Who, and also some heavy-handed, hilarious misquotes. A particular low point for me was Missy and the alternative universe master played by Mark Gatiss, misquoting the famous Do I Have the Right scene from Genesis of the Daleks. It didn't need to be there, it was trying to be clever, and it just sounded a bit cheap and tacky. Getting Gatiss to repeat a League of Gentlemen catchphrase was also tedious, and the actor probably rolled his eyes when he first read that line. Episode 2 is easy to follow because the Masters are paired off and also because almost nothing happens. The only thing that's really revealed in Episode 2 is the fact that all of the scenarios that the Masters have appeared in separately are somehow related. Things finally happen in Part 3. Gallifrey is destroyed and Joe Grant is killed and from that point you know a giant reset button is going to be pressed by the end of the story, which means that I kind of lost interest. 
add the fact that the big scene with all of the masters together was in episode one and not at the end of episode three, you're left with something that feels like it's the wrong way round. The writer had an impossible task here to make all of this work. It would have been better if it'd been a series of individual but linked stories with something at the end where they all got together like they did with The Legacy of Time. That was a tour de force in storytelling this isn't and it was never going to be with the brief the writer was given it was lovely to hear john sim back and pairing him with derek jacoby was a good thing but the individual performance and and the individual performances were splendid too now whatever my reservations of the main story there are still some great moments in there the performances are amazing and i would thoroughly recommend the limited edition eight disc version either on cd or download um, over the standard three disc version because you get a heck of a lot more bang for your buck and all the extra material is worth having right now it's time to talk about this month's torchwood release torchwood coffee morning squire welcome to baps what can i get you oh a cup of coffee please strong and black and name oh yanto from big finish productions torchwood coffee so Hot drinks are rituals. They're an easy way of finding common ground. Aliens. That's what's being hushed up. It's happening every day. And this city, it it doesn't care anymore. What better way of proving you're a friend than offering a stranger some boiling water to fling in your face? A cup of coffee's a way of showing a bit of pride. David! David! Kathy! Kathy! Performance art and a love of... perfection. Big finish. We love stories. Well, yes. That is a caveman. The first release from the monthly Torchwood range in 2021 is Torchwood Coffee. I knew very little about what this story was about prior to listening to it. The trailer does not give all that much away. And if I'm honest, it's not all that interesting. It certainly didn't sell the story to me. So when I saw the actual story was available to listen to, I didn't rush. My assumption was that it was a story set at a specific point in the history of Torchwood in a coffee shop on Cardiff Bay. The opening moments introduce you to that coffee shop, improbably called Baps, and its owner David, uh, plus his employee Kathy, who is an American backpacker working there to earn some extra money before she carries on with her travels. At the start of the episode, they are visited by a customer called Yanto, who has recently lost a job in London, but is hoping to get one here in Cardiff. To anyone who knows the chronology of Torchwood, this immediately sets the story after the Battle of Canary Wharf in Season 2 of Doctor Who, uh, but before the first episode of the first season of Torchwood. The narrative then jumps to a point after Yanto has secured his job and keeps moving forward. If I'm honest, this initially left me cold. The story was obviously going to be a series of vignettes that it that dipped into Yanto's time at Torchwood with no real story featuring the coffee shop. But as you follow the story through, um, you know, when they got to the end of season one, when we hear a Harold Saxon reference, for example, the tension starts to build, especially if you know the overall story arc of the Torchwood TV series. There are certain moments that you kind of know have to be referenced. The battle at the end of season one, the fact there was almost a nuclear meltdown in Cardiff at the end of season two, 
And there is a sweet scene, not long, uh, set around that time, uh, where he comes in to order five coffees and then remembers that he actually only needs three now. And if you're a fan of the show, you know that all of this is heading to one specific moment. Towards the end of episode one of Children in Earth, a huge bomb goes off in the bay. We know that Yanto survived that blast, but we also know that, once that's happened, he will never visit Baps for coffee again, because he dies before he gets a chance to come back to Cardiff. And then you start to realise that the characters in the coffee shop may very well also become victims of that same blast. The reason it works so well is you start to like the characters. David and Kathy are funny and quirky, and the whole nature of Torchwood being the worst-kept secret in Cardiff is nicely blended into the story. Towards the end, David starts to resent Yanto because all he sees are the times when Yanto fails. The shop almost gets blown up on more than one occasion. Um, And my knowledge of the show is not so good that I can relate those explosions to specific episodes, but I'm willing to bet they tie straight in. These new characters are believable and enjoyable, and by the end you really do care about them and hope that they and the shop will escape the carnage that you know is coming. I won't tell you exactly what happens at the end, apart from the obvious spoiler that Yanto dies, but there is a lovely cameo in the final scenes that just scene that just cements everything together. It's cracking. I have one reservation, um, or, or sorry, I have... If I have one reservation, it's that if you don't know the timeline of Tortured that well, it may not feel like it's going anywhere. But then the reality is that anyone who buys this release is probably a fan. So that's kind of irrelevant. Torchwood is one of the strongest and most consistent ranges that Big Finish produce at the moment. Not every release is as good as this one, but many of them are. Uh, They often feature one or two of the main cast and occasionally none, Um, but it always works and never feels cheap. The monthly range has just been extended until at least March 2022, and I, for one, will continue to subscribe, especially if they maintain the current hit rate. Incidentally, this story was also written by James Goss, who wrote Masterful. I don't think I have to tell you which story I enjoyed more. Next up is a review of the main range monthly release, Colony of Fear, a sixth Doctor story written by Roland Moore. And unlike the rest of these reviews, it's pre-recorded, so I get to give uh, my, my voice a rest for ten minutes. Here is the trailer. Edwin, I'd like you to meet the scouting party from the rescue ship. We weren't expecting you for a few days. So I heard. Hello, I'm Mrs. Clark. And I'm the Doctor. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Colony of Fear. I'm rarely pleased to see someone with a gun, but on this occasion, I'll make an exception. Who's that rather strange-looking fellow? I'm afraid I don't know his name. He's smiling, but his eyes look sad. Wise. And behind him, that's... Oh! Yes, people are always shocked by the blue box. These creatures are intelligent, Governor. What makes you think they're so intelligent? Well, they have some kind of ability to psychically project their thoughts. How do you know? Because one of them spoke to me inside my head. I can't leave. If I go back to Earth, that's a long journey in cryo. What if he returns while I'm gone? And do you really think that's likely? It's all I've got. All right. Big finish. 
We love stories. One day he'll come back. I know it. And I'll be waiting. Hello and welcome to Bangalore in India, from where I'm reviewing the 273rd monthly range release, Colony of Fear. Sadly, I'm confined to my hotel, so I'll be doing this review from my hotel room. The Doctor and Mrs Clark arrive on the planet Triketha, where human colonists are being attacked by insects that resemble giant hornets. Their sting causes a coma, and whilst the colonists can medicate people out of it, it is only a matter of time before the colonists are overwhelmed. When the Doctor and Constance are rescued from an insect attacked by armed colonists, they are mistaken for a reconnaissance party from the rescue ship that has been summoned by Governor Mollis. The Doctor is not convinced that the insects are Triketha natives. For one thing, he seems to be uniquely able to hear their thoughts and is able to confirm their extraterrestrial origin during a telepathic audience with a captured insect. But there is something else going on. Colonist Dr Edwin is obsessed with a photograph he has of a man from his past, a man that he believes kidnapped his son Talos five years ago. Nobody knows who that man is, but when Constance sees his picture, she notices that he's standing in front of a mysterious blue box. Meanwhile, investigations by the Doctor lead him and Mollis to a crashed spaceship that seems to contain a menagerie of endangered creatures from across the galaxy, managed by a man they release from stasis who calls himself the Collector. Damage to the ship has allowed the Hornets to escape, confirming the Doctor's theory of their extraterrestrial origin. Once the Collector reveals the life cycle of the Hornets to the Doctor, he realises that the colonists have an enormous problem. Initially, the hive mind of the insects has access to the thoughts and memories of any colonist who has been stung, which means that future defence plans against the insects can be anticipated and planned against by them. But more horrifyingly, anyone who has been stung will eventually transform into one of the insects themselves. The story is overall well told and interesting. As usual, Big Finish managed to create what feels like a real and functioning world with a relatively small cast. There are only four speaking parts of the colonists in this release. And the twist in the tale, which I'm about to reveal, so switch off if you don't want to know, is a good one. It turns out that the Collector, whose ship has crashed on the planet and caused all of this, is none other than Talos, Edwin's son. The TARDIS visited the colony five years ago, piloted by the second Doctor. Talos left with him and travelled as a companion for a while before being dropped off. Rather like Sarah Jane Smith, the Doctor managed to leave Talos in the wrong place, but crucially also in the wrong time, some 48 years before he left the colony. Now an old man, having been stung by one of the hornets as he caught it, he put himself into suspended animation and returned to Triketha to reconnect with his father. The Doctor does not remember Talos at all, and the, for, and the reason for this is never explained, but it is hinted that it's something the Time Lords have done. This suggests that Talos travelled with the second Doctor in a series of adventures that are set after the war games, potentially even during the fan-hypothesised Season 6B, which was a theory created to explain the continuity errors in the two Doctors, mainly that Jamie knows about the Time Lords despite their existence only being revealed to him in his final story, The War Games. The theory suggests that the Time Lords used the Doctor for a series of missions before they then caused his regeneration and then wiped his memory of it all. Now, it's certainly in keeping with the behaviour of the Time Lords in subsequent stories. 
Colony of Fear was recorded remotely, not that you can tell. Um, as usual, Colin Baker and Miranda Raisin are superb as the Doctor and Mrs. Clark. Uh, one of the things that the various lockdowns and restrictions prompted by the pandemic seem to have caused is the abandonment of the trilogy structure that has been the format of the monthly range since 2009. In a way, this has been quite nice. It changed the way stories had to be told and limited the cast to people with home studios. But crucially, Big Finish remained on the air, as it were. And the last few months have seen us revisit some earlier times within the monthly range. This story, for example, does not feature Philippa Jackson, Flip, and is also set before Mrs Clark found out what happened to her, hus- her husband, taking us back to an era of stories recorded in t- between 2015 and 2016. Mrs Clark is one of my favourite Sixth Doctor companions, perhaps because she's very firm with him and does not allow him to get away with much. Colony of Fear is a classic base under siege story and works very well as such, although it does have a surprisingly bleak ending. At the end, Talos and Edwin are the only survivors and they decide that they want to stay on the planet and await the rescue ship rather than leaving as offered with the Doctor. And this leads me to my main bone of contention about the story. We are never given an exact number of colonists, but from statistics about people stung by the insects, it is upwards of 40 people. And that's assuming almost all of the colonists were stung at the same time, which actually seems unlikely. So it's probably a lot more than that. Talos's total accountability for what happened and the consequences of it seemed to be forgotten at the end. Had his ship crashed into a more populous world, many more people probably would have died. And since the insects seem to be capable of learning from the people they take over, they could have become spacefaring, at which point nobody would have been safe. Talos would have been and should have been held responsible for what happened, for what he caused to happen, and as such, I personally doubt that he would want to hang around to face the consequences. Colin Fear is a good story, competently told and well acted. It is also sadly the final story starring the Sixth Doctor to be released as part of the monthly range, although he is in the final release coming out in March, which is a multi-doctor tale called The Beginning of the End. Next up, it's back to me being live and a review of the fourth Doctor Adventures, Series 10, Part 1. Here is the trailer. (laughs) Shooting stars! A meteor shower I'd keep back if I were you. What? Well, it (gasps) explains the ruins. It's like London during the Blitz. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, the fourth Doctor Adventures, the day of the comet... Gold, silver, what you got? Well, I'm I'm afraid I I said leave them. No, 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 they're ours. And now they are mine. Are you a looter? This quarter's infested with gangs, fighting over the scraps like vermin. All citizens, move away from the gates. Repeat, move away from the gates. Caution. Father. Promised you I'd be here, but look. Gold. It has to be enough. I've seen others get in with less. Who are you and what are you doing here? Trying to buy a ticket for the Ark ship? Hardly. Just something to exchange for victory. Tell me, Korsha, what exactly is going on here? The comet. It's going to destroy the world. It is? We only have about three months left. Three months? Warning. Rainstorm imminent. What is happening? Why are they so scared of rain? We have to go. Seal the gate. Seal the gate. It's time to launch. I repeat, it's time to launch. 
This doctor sounds like quite a fellow. He has saved my life many times. Maybe he will save yours, too. I wish I had your faith. But I have responsibility to uphold the laws and strictures of time. <laughs> what does that even mean? It means I don't get to decide who lives and who dies. Unlike the rest of your kind. What? Big finish. We love stories. Doctor? Yes? What sort of a damn fool name is that? I shall take no offence. Amapan Investments. Certainly putting you through now. You have something that belongs to me. We want the TARDIS. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Fourth Doctor Adventures, The World Traders. Any object left unattended for more than an hour on Amapan Investments property becomes ours to do with as we will. You can't do that. We can and have. Fremantle. I'm a journalist. I'm writing a story about the company. Stay down! Lila, stay here and try to behave yourself. I shall not! Doctor interests me, Director. When I look at him and his strange blue box, I feel the reassuring tingle of increased currency. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, but this is private property. I'm going to have to... Not with the weapon of the monster. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, tasty. Is that my phone? Not entirely. I left the bits I didn't need in your bathroom sink. <laughs> no gun. A good hunter has no need for one. Leela vanished through one of these portals and I have to find her. Don't suppose you have a gadget to unlock the door? Cannibalised from my toaster, perhaps? Big men with guns. I'm sure the company can weather any fleeting bad press. Especially with lovely money-making machines like this at our disposal. Big Finish. We love stories. I'm really not sure about this. Be brave, Emma. The Doctor usually knows what he is doing. Exactly. Usually. So, The Fourth Doctor, Series 10, Volume 1, comprises two four-part stories, which can be bought either as the set I purchased uh, or individually as downloads. The first story is The World Traders and is written by Guy Adams. Uh, it is set in the modern day and starts with the Doctor and Leela arriving at the TARDIS having had a day out. The TARDIS is no longer there. It's been taken away and a removal notice left in its place. The Doctor and Leela then visit the company who have left the notice, Amapan Investments, a company that has um, come out of nowhere in the last 18 months, basically. They have links with the British government who have given them permission to treat their premises as an embassy, so therefore it is not technically British soil, so the normal rule of British law does not apply. Amazon refused to return to the TARDIS, claiming that it is now their property. The Doctor and Leela are forced to leave the building, along with the journalist Emma Fremantle, who has been trying to get an interview with Amapan's mysterious director. One thing that has not occurred to me until I wrote this, until I, uh, wrote this script that I'm reading now was how close the word Amapan is to Amazon. Only the fourth and fifth letters are different. Uh, excuse me. Uh, and every time I type the word Amapan out, it actually tries to autocorrect to Amazon. Anyway, Amapan have been busy creating portals into the past, where, where they are leasing out whole continents for decades to the highest bidder. 
I had assumed that it was people from the modern day going back to use the land, but no, it was people that are contemporaneous with the time Amapan are leasing out, which if you think about it, makes no sense because they would have to do market themselves in every time period that they wanted to operate in, at which point surely someone, possibly even the Time Lords, um, would have found out what was going on, but apparently not. Which leads me to my next issue. If people who should not be there are wondering about in prehistory, surely they would have changed something that would have created some form of paradox in the here and now. Now, eventually in the story, this actually happens. Uh, when Amapan leads the UK to a violent race, the present suddenly becomes a world without humanity, although the director survives because she's within the TARDIS at the time. I'm not a huge fan of the overall story, to be honest. There are too many plot holes. But this is made up for by some great performances. Uh, Big Finish stalwart Ramon Tickerham, who is also a regular in the Unit series, is great as President Dunlar. And Dame Sean Phillips, who is, is just the right side megalomaniacal as the director. The only person who seems somewhat let down by the dialogue is Sarah Powell as Emma Fremantle. In episode two, she is chipped to obey Amapan and spends the rest of the story with really cheesy dialogue in support of them, even when what she's saying sounds ridiculous both to her uh, and us as the audience. The second story in the set, The Day of the Comet by Jonathan Morris, is definitely the stronger offering, although it's not without some issues. The Doctor and Rita Leela arrive on a planet that is due to be hit by a comet in three months. There is one spaceship on the planet, an Ark that can save some, but not all, of the inhabitants. The people outside the compound can bribe their way in with what appears to be stolen goods. The Doctor and Leela are attacked by a gang who want to gain entry, but are saved by another thief, albeit one with a conscience this time, a man called Massey who is trying to buy room for himself and his daughter on the Ark. The Doctor gets injured and is surprised to learn that the terms Doctor and Medicine don't really exist on this world, and soon realises that the race is one that the Time Lords chose to let die when the comet hit their planet because their near immortality was too dangerous for other races to genetically analyse and potentially copy. And this is the thing that makes the story so strong. The fact that the race, the race's extinction is a fixed point in time and the Doctor cannot help them survive even if he wants to. What I like about the race on this planet is they are a mixture of normal people. Some are ambitious, some are nasty, some are nice. Some have an agenda and some don't. And it's quite sad when you know they're all going to die. And then something happens. A race from the future arrive and start to round up the inhabitants, breaking all the laws of time. They attempt to place the whole population into cryogenic storage so that they can sell them to other races to buy so that those other races can try and learn the secret of their near immortality. There are some great performances here. Mandy Simmons, playing the leader of the Time Travellers, gives her roles a kind of Miriam Margalesque vibe and feel to it. And Janet Henfrey is wonderful as Vercuvia, an old lady who is rather fed up of being referred to as the old lady all of the time. I'd actually not realised who she was until I listened to the extras. Um, she actually played Miss Hardacre in the Sylvester McCoy story The Curse of Fenric. Now I have to say that I assumed she was much older than she actually was when they recorded that story in 1989. Um, and I was therefore surprised, but also pleased that she's still around now. I also discovered that she played a, a small role in Peter Capaldi's Mummy on the Orient Express. She's great in this release, and I'm so pleased that she's still around and still acting. Another great actor appears here is John Colshaw, who plays both Massey and another character called Suleiman. The only problem is that they are both rather prominent characters. Indeed, Suleiman is introduced in a scene where he has to talk to Massey 
and it just doesn't work. This is not a reflection on John Coleshaw. Indeed, it's nice to see him getting regular work with Big Finish and not just mimicking other actors, but playing characters in his own right. The issue is that he has a distinctive voice, one that I can recognise straight away even when he changes his voice. There is nothing wrong with his performance as either Massey or Suleiman, and had the characters been in different stories, it would have been fine. But because I know his voice so well, I had to really think about which character he was playing. One of the characters dies towards the end of episode two, and when Coleshaw appears in episode three, there was a moment where my bro went, ah, he isn't dead after all, before I realised he was playing the other character. I have no issue usually with people playing more than one role, but here it just does not work. Uh, Maybe it would for someone who is less familiar with his voice. The story builds to a climax that you are worried is going to be rather bleak, and when it isn't, it's almost a cop-out. The Doctor sends the time ship containing the frozen inhabitants of the planet, and I quote, so far into the future, it doesn't matter. That isn't a direct quote, having re-listened to it since I wrote the script, but never mind. Um, I have a slight issue with this. Surely the Time Lords have a a knowledge of all of time. And so if this was their fate, then surely the Doctor would have known it. Unless he's sending them so far ahead, they're approaching the end of the universe. For example, where the 10th Doctor episode Utopia is set. But they don't have much of a future there, do they? Because it's the end of the universe. I know I'm overthinking this. And of course, this was a much better and nicer ending than the whole race being wiped out. Something that does seem distinctly possible until close to the end of the story. And does provide a lot of the tension. But the final resolution still feels a little easy. The fourth Doctor range is terrific. Tom obviously relishes playing the part again, and he sounds exactly the same as he did during his original tenure, as does Louise Jameson, who excels, as she always does, uh, playing Leela in this release. This is the first half of the tenth series. The second is out next month, and Big Finish are so far ahead, they've actually recorded material for the 13th already, which isn't due to be released until 2024. Right, now it's time for uh, a look at the final release I'm going to release this month, The Diary of River Song, Volume 8. From Big Finish Productions, The Diary of River Song, Series 8. Why are we doing this? I thought you should learn about eternity. Because I'll live forever. Exactly. It's you. It's been five years since last I saw you. Yes. (laughs) You've built your pyramid. Absolutely. Lock me in. I'll have your job for this. You're welcome to it. Do you know who I am? You've got to stop it. No, we don't interfere. But does it get better? It can't get worse than this, can it? Let's go find out. Rachel, we have to go. I'd like to stay and help the colonists. You, Rachel, would be more than welcome. How long's the journey? It will take about 500 years. This is the last time! Oh. Alert. Electromagnetic interference detected in zoologicals. Computer! I need an escape route! Now! You need to come with me. Why? Because we have come to adopt you. Taylor? Because you're not allowed. Oh, but that just makes it even more tempting. There are rules, River. Danger detected. Listen to your friend and shut up. River! This is a waste of time! Let her speak. Mayday! Mayday! Tempting as it is to pretend we didn't hear it, protocol must be A mission of mercy it is. City on stilts. Even the unstable terrain, a sensible precaution. It's fantastic, like a fairy tale palace. 120 mechanoids. Take us to your leader. Wild. 
to dare rouse me from my sleep. System reactivate. You, you send us both over the... <laughs> Big Finish. We love stories. Who let the dogs out? I have a love-hate relationship with this series and River Song in general. This is the eighth series they've done. Um, and there have been some issues in the past for me about the unique selling point of this show. Um, is it meant to be a Doctor Who spin-off? Is it focusing on Doctor Who? Or is it trying to do its own thing? And they haven't been entirely consistent in their approach. The first four series all feature appearances from the Doctor with the storyline that built up to it. Uh, the fifth series uh, episodes all contain an appearance by an incarnation of the Master. Um, and the sixth were all kind of what-if scenarios featuring a classic Doctor Who story where history went in a different direction, which is actually my favourite of the series. It's it's really good. Series 7 doesn't really have a Doctor Who link at all, apart from an appearance by the Weeping Angels. Now, according to producer David Richardson, Series 8, this series changed from its original concept because of the pandemic. They had to scale back the casts and make each story a little more intimate. Um, He dubbed this series River and the Robots because every episode features River with a robot. The first two episodes feature a robot called Rachel, played by Alex Kinston's actual daughter, an actor called, and I'm going to pronounce this very wrongly, I'm sure, Salom Hertel. The character was vaguely familiar, so I checked up and discovered that she actually appeared in an episode from the second series of the River Song um, Diary, uh, the Diary of River Song, uh, in an episode called 529, which I actually listened to before I listened to this set to refresh myself of the character. That episode was excellent. It's one of my favourite in the range, in fact. However, the first episode of this set was slightly less so. Slight Glimpses of Tomorrow by James Goss features River using her vortex manipulator to show Rachel the history of a world. They jump in at various points in the history and River demonstrates how one decision can have far-reaching consequences, sometimes centuries down the line. It's not that it's bad, it isn't. But thanks to the fact that River and Rachel are the only constant characters throughout the story, you don't spend enough time with anyone else to bond with them as a listener. Consequently, when you find out that solar flares wipe out the planet before they can develop space travel you end up just shrugging your shoulders a bit however there is a nice twist in the tale at the end of the story river takes rachel back to where they started and influence what seems like a small change in history in this case the decision where to build a pyramid in history mark two they convince the builder to put it on top of a mountain and as a result the society develops differently and when they get to the end point again they've developed technology that means by this point Um, They have developed space travel and 20 rockets containing survivors were launched before the flares struck. It's a nice moment of hope to end an otherwise quite bleak story, but thanks to the structure, it will never be one of my favourites. The next episode, however, is A Brave New World by Tracy Ann Baines picks up immediately where slight glimpses of tomorrow left off. Rachel wants to visit one of the colony ships from the end of the previous story. And when she and River arrive, they find they are on uh, the 20th and final colony ship. It has 12,000 people in cryosleep on board and three crew members to look after them. The journey is going to take 500 years, so the crew that are awake now will never see their new home. When one of them dies, they'll wake up someone else to take over their role and so on. The ship only has enough oxygen for three crew members to be awake throughout the journey. So River and Rachel are initially met with hostility until the crew realise that Rachel is a robot and uses none of their oxygen reserves. River agrees to leave, telling Rachel to contact her via her vortex manipulator when she wants to leave or if she needs any help. 
the crew are all very young and do not relish the idea of dying before they reach their new world. The captain and her first officer set about deliberately showing Rachel every system on the ship and after six months they force new programming into her so that she has to do all of the manual work that they should have done. They then put themselves into cryo sleep. Rachel spends the next 497 years dealing with things on behalf of the crew, but not of her own choice. Eventually, there is a, situa- a situation she cannot resolve on board, which threatens all 12,000 uh, of the colonists' lives. And she manages to break out of her enforced new programming to contact River. I do have a little issue with some of the logic in the story. Why would you force three people... Well, 30 really assuming they they do about 50 years each to live and die without seeing their new home when you could give people five year shifts before activating the next group that would still only require 300 of the colonists out of the 12,000 on the ship to be awake during the flight and crucially they would all survive to get to see their new world it would certainly motivate the people who have to do the donkey work during the voyage And you cannot say it's because it's impossible to freeze people once the journey has started, because that's exactly what happens to the original three crew members once they have trained, programmed, whatever, Rachel to take over. I will gloss over that, though, because I really enjoyed the story and the characters. Once River arrives, even she cannot cope with what is going on, and they end up waking up the original three crew members. And between them, they resolve the situation, not without some sacrifice, though. The other thing I like about this story is that it subverted a certain expectation of mine. Whilst Rachel is on the colony ship, River spends some time with the Doctor. I have to admit, I did assume you would never hear from him. And the first few minutes, it does seem to be going that way. Then, just before Rachel calls River back to help on the colony ship, we have a wonderful David Tennant cameo, which I was genuinely not expecting. It made me smile and enhanced a story that I was already enormously enjoying anyway. Episode 3, which is A Forever Home by Alfie Shaw, has River being kept prisoner by robot animals, a cat called Feline and a somewhat familiar robot dog called Canine, voiced once again by the wonderful John Leeson. Whilst initially it seems a bit silly and they're simply for laughs, and there are a few good role reversal gags, especially when Canine takes River out for a walk uh, and exchanges stilted pleasantries with the other robots walking their pet animals, once the plot develops it is surprisingly dark and not funny at all. There is some nice, misdire- there is some nice misdirection as to who is behind everything, and an outcome that is both morally satisfying and ties up all the loose ends for continuity pedants like myself. <laughs> The final episode is called Queen of the Mechanoids and was written by Jonathan Morris. Again, it has a limited cast, but an interesting one. Joining Alex Kingston as River Song is Jane Slavin as Anya Kingdom, who regular Big Finish listeners will recall was a companion to Tom Baker's Fourth Doctor in the series released in 2018. I think it was the eighth series of, of the Fourth Doctor Adventures. There was an interesting backstory to that companion. She was introduced as a police constable from the 1970s called Anne Kelso and was eventually shown to be working undercover and with an agenda, eventually being revealed as Sarah Kingdom's sister. Uh, sister Anya. Joining Anya in this tale is Joe Sims as, a, as an android and space security services agent Mark Seven, a character with, with, if possible, an even bigger backstory than Anya, first appearing in 1960s short stories and comics and various Dalek annuals. He was also in the pilot script for a TV series that Dalek creator Terry Nation hoped to launch Starring his Eva Creations, which was never filmed, although, of course, Big Finish did turn it into an audio in 2010. 
Even more interestingly, both Anya Kingdom and Mark Seven will be appearing alongside the 10th Doctor in a nine-part series being released later this year, um, starring David Tennant and entitled Dalek Universe. According to the extras on this set, uh, this is a prequel to that series and launches some of the themes that that series will explore. The story is simple enough. Mark and Anya pick up a distress call from River and they follow it to an ice planet where they find River being looked after by the mechanoids. And through a rather convoluted plan engineered by River, they end up discovering wanted criminal Anam Hennick from Earth, who has been hiding here. To keep him alive, he's been half converted into a mechanoid. And I don't think that the Davros similarities are an accident. There are occasional quotes that seem to point back to the first appearance of Davros in Genesis of the Daleks, and right down to the very last scene in which Hennick and the Mechanoids are entombed. They use that exact word, echoing the final Dalek speech from Genesis of the Daleks. It is an interesting tale. Uh, when the SSS agents realise they've been used by River, they are not amused. The characters are great, and we also know that Mechanoids... River, Anya and Mark will all appear at some point in Dalek Universe, and although they have not announced it yet, it wouldn't surprise me if Derek Griffiths does not turn up at some point as Hennick as well. So overall, Volume 8 of the Diary of River Song delivers. Each plate offers something fresh, and they're not so interlinked that you cannot listen to any of them individually, although Parts 1 and 2 are the most closely linked. So that's it for today. The releases I've talked about are all available from Big Finish and this month they also released an audiobook entitled Bernice Summerfield, The Big Hunt by Last Lance Parkin. Overall, it has been a very strong month and a very productive one for writer James Goss, who is responsible for six of the 14 hours that I have spoken about. The other thing I'm going to do each month is tell you which was my release of the month, my favourite release. And in January, it was, hands down, Torchwood Coffee by James Goss. It's absolutely wonderful. It it brings a tear to your eye. There's some wonderful characterization. It's 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 a crowd above the rest. If you have any thoughts and feedback on what I've said here today, please go to the website shown below. That's that one. Um which has links to all the ways you contact me. I will be back in early March with reviews of some of Big Finish's February releases, including the much-awaited much alleged finale to the Gallifrey series, Gallifrey Time War Volume 4. Thank you so much for watching. See you next time. This podcast was originally conceived as a YouTube video, hence occasional references to things you can see on the screen. It was written and performed by Richard A. Bokshall, and all trailers were used with kind permission from Big Finish Productions. If you have any thoughts or feedback, please email me at richard.a.b.writes at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.